Hello everyone and welcome to the Mobilize podcast. I am Alessio Bricca and I am a postdoc in the Mobilize project at University of Southern Denmark. Our guest for this episode is Professor Rod Taylor from Glasgow University. Hello Rod and welcome to the Mobilize podcast. How are you? Hello Alessio and thank you for the invitation. Um, strange times but i'm pleased to say very well thank you fantastic uh, today rod uh, will be sharing his experience uh, with uh, developing alternative delivery modes to supervise the center-based exercise but rod will also uh, mention the challenge of multimorbidity and a study rod and his team is about uh, to perform but before we get started, uh, could you tell us a bit about the work uh, you've been performing? Sure. So, so my background is very much in the area of cardiac rehabilitation, Alessio. So um, my original PhD, I'm, a, I'm an exercise physiologist originally, but through my postgraduate work, I, uh, I did some training in medical statistics, health economics and clinical trials. So I really describe myself now as a, as a cardiovascular uh, trialist. And I guess I wear two hats. So one, one hat is I run studies around the impact of exercise-based interventions for people with heart disease. We can talk about that a little bit more in a second. Uh, and then also I'm very fortunate to direct an international collaboration of Cochrane reviews that specifically focus on the question of the effectiveness of cardiac rehabilitation on people with heart disease. And again, as we might talk about, a, a very key ingredient of cardiac rehabilitation is exercise. And uh, perhaps um, I, I sadly admit that I've been doing this now for over 30 years. Um, so it does go right back to my PhD when we looked at exercise interventions in high-risk middle-aged men. And I've really kept that research theme going right through to my, um, my, my, my senior academic days, if you like. So a, lo a long time involved um, in the use of exercise for patients with heart disease. Great. You've published, Rod, I've Googled you a bit, uh, more than 350 peer review articles, and many of which are randomized control trials and, and systematic reviews. And uh, in many of them, as, as you said in your introduction, exercise is a core component. And could you tell us a bit why uh, you've focused so much on, on exercise? Yeah, so I, I think uh, there's probably at least two elements of that. So one is my personal bias. So as I said, you know, I am an exercise physiologist. So I learned as an undergraduate the very clear um, health benefits of undertaking exercise, whether one does that in a public health context or one does that in a disease context. So I guess I was, uh, I believe that. And, and also I'm, I need to declare that I have a, a conflict of interest, which I exercise every day. I'm an obsessive runner. So you will find me in the streets of Glasgow somewhere around about 6.30 in the morning, running either myself or with my two dogs, Ollie and, um, and Bailey. 
So I, I find exercise myself is a very good tonic. It helps me keep well. It helps me keep mentally well, particularly in this difficult time of lockdown. Um, so I've always believed that there are benefits of exercise. And what we need to do is to generate an evidence base to demonstrate that explicitly in other heart conditions. And I think it's interesting to reflect just in the heart, the cardiac space, where, you know, if we went back, Alessio, to the 1960s or 1950s, the, the um, prescription of you'd had a heart attack was what we call bed rest. You put people to bed for a month because we believed that that was the most beneficial thing to do. Now, you and I know now that that would not be the thing to do for a patient with a heart attack. Indeed, we want to mobilize them as soon as we can. And for many people, they, they may have a heart attack and, and be admitted very acutely into hospital, be discharged within one to two days, and we will begin their exercise program. And we know through randomized control trial data that if we do that, we can reduce their risk of, for instance, cardiovascular mortality over a 10-year period by a relative risk reduction of about 20%. So I think just using that as an example, I think my, I see my mission is to undertake trials to demonstrate whether exercise is beneficial, hopefully not harmful, um, publish those. And, and then also combine them along with other literature, such as in the form of systematic reviews. Um, and, and I guess we've been trying to go through virtually every um, indication of heart disease you can imagine, starting with heart attacks, which are very common in heart failure, but maybe getting into some um, less common conditions such as congenital heart disease or people with heart transplant and see whether exercise has similar benefits in those populations. Fabulous. This is also highlights that the, the research in the exercise field has taken a giant leap over the last 20, 30 years. And that's, that's, very, that's very good for also patients which have more rare conditions, as you were saying. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, when a patient um, generally thinks about uh, exercising uh, or exercise as a therapy, um, they generally think as, and also myself sometimes, uh, as uh, going to the gym or to a clinic or to a fitness center and, uh, and do my exercises. Um, in your research, you've also developed uh, alternative ways to this, uh, to this standard approach of motor delivery. Um, would you tell us a bit why? Sure. So, so you're right that I think if we were to take um, cardiac rehabilitation programs, even now in the UK, the majority of those, as you say, are, are centre-based programs where we bring the patient into the, for instance, the physiotherapy gym or into the clinic and we exercise them in a supervised way. Um, and also for the general population, again, as you say, for many people, the, the, as I'm sure is the case in Denmark, they like to go to a gymnasium where they may exercise, again, with the supervision um, of somebody at the front of the class. If they're doing some form of aerobics exercise, that can be quite motivating. And uh, I have a slight throwaway comment that, you know, people get their lycra on and they go and do their exercise. 
and don't get me wrong, that that's great. And and I think a really important thing about exercise is whatever whatever suits and motivates the individual. But of course, wearing lycra, going to a gym, getting sweaty, isn't everybody's cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And um, many for many people, they, they may want to exercise, for instance, in their home setting. So for instance, um, in some parts of Scotland, getting to uh, a center-based facility may actually not be straightforward, particularly if you're older, you may not have a car, or you may uh, unfortunately be in a financial situation where the cost of transportation is expensive. So long story short, I've particularly been interested in trying to look at more accessible ways or alternative ways to make exercise available uh, to people uh, who want to undertake structured exercise programs but may not necessarily want to go to a center-based program. And this has become also, um, if you like, politically with a small p, um, important in UK, Alicio, because if we look at, for instance, people with heart failure at the moment in UK, we know that only one in 20 patients with heart failure currently receive a cardiac rehabilitation program. Now, one reason for that might be that their cardiologist isn't referring them. So we need to educate the cardiologists on these benefits. Um, but the other reason when we interview patients is, is that they say that um, it's very difficult for them to access a center-based program because, for instance, um, if they're males such as myself or, or adults such as myself still at working age, they may want to integrate their exercise into their lifestyle. So to go to a, a program at two o'clock to five o'clock on a Thursday afternoon in the city center of Glasgow may not be convenient because they're at work. So again, it's this idea about trying to make exercise more accessible and if we can make it more accessible, we can improve the rates of uptake of exercise, particularly in our cardiac populations, which is my focus. Yes, I, I agree with, with what you're saying. And, and I guess that the, the, the overall goal is to let people train. I mean, offer this treatment uh, to these people that, that really need it. And uh, any, any mode of delivery would be fine by me as long as they actually do it and they enjoy it. With regards to that, when you mentioned that you talked to patients, uh, um, what are their experiences? Do they like it? Uh, do they uh, do they adhere to to the prescribed doses and types of exercises at home? Yeah, so that's a great question. So let let me talk about maybe a specific example then yes. of an intervention that that we have developed. So. To be specific, what we have done is to try to develop home-based interventions. And, and one intervention we've developed is called REACH HF. As the name suggests, it's an intervention, home-based intervention targeted at people with heart failure. So the very first thing we, we did when we developed that intervention, um, Alicia, was to really start from the beginning to work out, you know, what what, what does that program need to contain? So, you know, part, part of that was undertaking a literature review, but then building an intervention that we effectively 
um, made available to patients and their caregivers. So one of the things we found early when we did our research is that if we want to make, motivate patients to not just exercise in the short term, but maintain the behavior change, it's good to involve their caregiver. So, and, and of course, that's true of many areas of behavior change as we were talking about before this podcast. The patient is given a manual and the intention is, is that over a 12-week period, with the support of a healthcare professional, and in our case in UK, that is, for instance, a cardiac rehabilitation nurse or physio, um, or a heart failure specialist nurse, will visit the patient at their home, undertake an assessment, Alicio, of their functional status, and then introduce the patient to the manual and their 12-week program. That visit take, typically takes about an hour and a half. Then the patient is asked to progress, and the intervention has three components, exercise, education, and psychological support. And then at regular intervals, every two weeks, the healthcare professional will ring the patient up and check in. So you're the patient. I will ring you up. Alicio, it's two weeks since I last saw you. How are you progressing with your exercise program? And, and patients can actually fill out a log. So as your healthcare professional, I could look online and check your log before I call you to see whether you've at least been indicating your adherent um, and also help problem solve any barriers. The exercise program we set is uh, either a walking program or, a, or what we call a chair-based program, Alicio, mm -hmm. because many people with heart failure may not have the functional capacity to even do a walking program. So we have to start them off at a lower MET level, metabolic equivalent level. So there is a choice. And then we graduate them over the 12 weeks. So the patient has regular phone calls. And then at the 12th week, they then have a final home visit where the healthcare professional will go back out to your home, visit you and your partner, and put together what we would call a, a future lifestyle plan. So my question to you will be, okay, Alicia, you've been doing... Uh, a, a walking program, what is now your strategy to maintain that exercise um, for the rest of your life? Because <laughs> let's be honest, that's what we're trying to achieve. Um, so this program, 12-week uh, program, Reach HF, we've evaluated it through a randomized control trial and shown a couple of things. So first of all, patients, going back to your question, do interact with the intervention very well we had levels of compliance of, of over 80% um, in our randomized control trial. And then importantly, the primary outcome in this trial was disease-specific quality of life. And the particular measure we used, which is a common one in this area, is called the Minnesota Living with Heart Failure Scale. And our hypothesis was, was that if you received exercise, your quality of life would improve and we were able to confirm that hypothesis in the trial and also show improvements in other secondary endpoints, such as a reduction in unplanned hospital visits. And of course, that's really important because that's a key cost driver. Um, so 
uh, not only was the intervention clinically effective, but we were also able to show it was cost effective. And, and what we are now doing, Alessio, is having done that trial, is now rolling that intervention out in the real world of the UK NHS and checking its implementability. And, and actually, so far, so good. We, we've rehabilitated, we think, somewhere over. Um, we estimate 250 um, heart failure patients in the last 12 months uh, in UK using this programme. Um, so just an example of making exercise more accessible and in this specific case for people with heart failure. That's, that's a very good example. Thanks for sharing it with us. And it's also very good uh, and promising for people that uh, prefer to exercise uh, in their homes. So I guess the message is clear is that they can get better. Uh, they can improve their quality of life, which is astonishing. You mentioned this intervention has uh, several components. Could we say that it's a sort of, of a behavioral intervention? Uh, overall. Uh, when you talk about, um, you ask the patients uh, how they would like to keep uh, their physical activity levels. Uh, mm. Could you tell us a bit uh, about what they tell you and uh, whether they then are able to maintain it over a long period of time? Yeah. So again, a great question, Alessio. So in the trial, we actually, the primary outcome point was 12 months. So although the intervention only lasted 12 weeks, we assessed their quality of life at 12 months. So I should have been clearer that when we, when we looked at their improvement in quality of life, we were already checking in that sense that it wasn't just a short-term benefit, it was a long-term benefit. So we saw an improvement in quality of life, not only at four weeks when the intervention finished, but also at 12 months. And I think that that's a very key issue. But, but let's be frank and honest, Alicio, one of the... One of the biggest challenges we have in the rehabilitation fields is long-term adherence. And traditionally, if you look back at the literature, um, you, you would see follow-ups of, of patients asking them, are you still exercising one year after their program of rehabilitation? Um, maybe in some cases, up to 80% of patients would say no. They, they had reverted back to their sedentary lifestyles and also some of the other poor behaviors such as around diet. So I, so don't get me wrong, this is, this is a very challenging area. I hypothecate with you that actually one of the advantages of home-based rehabilitation is, is that we're integrating exercise into people's everyday lives. So I shared with you that I have this habit it's like brushing my teeth in the morning where I go for a run and it really is ingrained into my DNA of my day. Now, I would put it to you that maybe, maybe home-based exercise is easier to maintain because when we originally prescribe it, it's already part of our everyday lives um, rather than artificially going to the center because traditionally when we stop a 12-week center-based program, it's almost like a bereavement for the patient because they're no longer going to the hospital to get their exercise. And they have to then work out, how do I maintain that myself? And I would put it to you that that translation may be a barrier. So again, I, I, I wanna be clear, home-based exercise is not a panacea. 
but I think for many patients, it, it, it can actually help to maintain longer term adherence to um, the behavior changes that we're trying to implement. And we've certainly found that with REACH HF as one example. Thank you, Rod, for sharing your important work with us. We've now come to the end of the first part of this podcast. I would like to thank you, Rod, for joining me on this podcast and you all for listening. If you'd like to know more about how to implement in clinical practice alternative delivery modes to supervised center-based exercise for cardiac rehabilitation, then I invite you to listen to part two of this podcast, always with Rod Taylor. Goodbye, everybody.